Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Rolling, 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 rolling. Keep those prices rolling. Roll, Roll back. back. Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Brittany. And we are... For Colored Nerds. The conversations that black people have. When white people aren't in the room. But we record them. And we put them on the internet. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Just... We- being me yes we recently had a live show yes i was gonna say we should we should get we just want to give a quick thank you yeah to everyone who uh who came yes um to our wonderful guests tracy and remember tracy clayton and remember brown yes you guys were great they were great yes and even to everybody who listened in the feed and liked it we got a lot of tweets about it we just want to say thanks thank you it was Uh, fun yes and we're hoping to do it again very soon yes i say it like that because you should watch out Watch this space. Watch never, this space. Watch this space. Never know what's going to come up. This spring. You never know what's going to come up this spring. <laughs> uh, but what else is going on? Uh, nothing much, man. Honestly, I've just been chilling. I've just been trying to keep my head down and go to work. Um, I really try not to talk too much about what I'm doing because people just ask me when my new show is coming out. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just try to lay low. Yeah, actually, I had somebody really like corner me and be like, I know you know what's going on. I'm like, eh, I actually don't know as much as you think. Yeah, no, I don't know as much as people think. So how about that? <laughs> How about that? Uh, How are you doing? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I'm like, you know, I'm trying to ride this uh, this coffee into a new wave of uh, enjoyment and excitement. Mm. It's not really working today. I don't like coffee. But, um, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm actually, you know what? You know what's working more than the coffee to make me excited? What? What we're going to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a transition? Okay. All right. Segway, segway, segway. Today, we're going to talk about Get Out. Yes. It is a new breakout horror film from Key and Peele creator Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. Today we're going to dive into kind of the way the film explores like three things. Uh, one, white supremacy. Fave topic. Yes. It's something we talk about often. Yeah, comes up. <laughs> uh, also, the way the film plays with point of view um, is pretty, pretty novel for oh, horror films. Definitely. And lastly, we're going to talk about the way the movie kind of highlights the black body. Mm. So I think this is actually a good point to let you know that if you have not seen this film, yes, you will be spoiled. You will be spoiled. So if you don't mind being spoiled, and we're not talking about in like the put it in the bag variety, okay? We're not talking about some Captain Save a Ho type of spoiling. We're yeah. talking about spoiling movie plot lines. We don't exactly. make that much money from this. So <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled, then you need to pause, mm-hmm. go see the movie, and then press play when you come back after you've seen the movie but if you see the movie then let's get started yes yes and it's i mean and if you haven't seen the movie yet one you late you you're you're really late you're late uh you probably already seen spoilers on twitter you probably have seen spoilers on twitter because people are trash but you do need to go see the movie it's really good you do it's excellent start there i mean i highly recommend it i am actually going to show it to my children when they start middle school right before (laughs) night before first school dance i'll just be like Guys, I uh, I have an instructional video for you guys to see. A uh, historical film. You got to set people up for success. Got to set them up for success. Uh, but we should talk. We should tell you a little bit more. Just give you a quick recap. Even though the people have seen it, people who are listening, hopefully, have already seen the film. But we're gonna tell you a little bit more about the film. Brittany, would you like to? Sure. So basically, uh, we start with two main characters: Chris, who's played by Daniel Kaluuya of. An amazing episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. I was so happy to see him in this film. I didn't even know what to do. He's a photographer. He's also 
a black man. And his girlfriend, who is this white woman named Rose, who's played by the white girl of all white girls. And I say this with love because she kills this role. Yeah. Allison Williams. Um, Perfectly so th- cast. I've never seen such perfect casting in my life. <laughs> like, especially, too, because she's so good at Marnie on Girls yeah. that I swear, I'm like, this has to be how she really is. And she was slightly different, but she dialed into the same yeah. frequency in this film. And I was like, girl, you got talent. That made me appreciate her more, actually. Yeah, I was like, okay, you got talent. So Chris and Rose have, like, reached the point in their relationship you know, they've been dating about four or five months where it's finally time to like meet the parents. So Chris comes home with Rose and meets her parents, Missy and Dean, who are played by Catherine Keener and Bradley Whitford. And you know, I love Catherine. Keener. I don't know if yeah. you know this. I'm I in do. the Catherine Keener hive. I have been for a very long time. And if you do your Googles and you really know your true film work, you know about your Nicole Holliff Center white female romantic comedy dramedies then you know all about Catherine Keener and what this woman is capable of so she was awesome and then they also meet Rose's brother who's a creep uh, his name is Jeremy so basically like Chris decides to go to these white people's house for the weekend mm-hmm. by himself mm, by his I didn't say by himself first off <laughs> by himself which was a bad idea um, and, and that idea was underscored so many times by Chris's best friend Rod who was hilarious played by uh, Lil Rel Howery uh, so basically you have Chris and Rose and Jeremy and Missy and Dean at this like estate in wherever like surrounded by nothing but whiteness and trees <laughs> and like Chris just starts to notice that something is a little off. And like at first it's kind of like just their behavior. Yeah. And he feels like they're being super accommodating of him because he's this black man dating their white daughter. Um, but then, you know, some things happen. He starts to notice some things. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that like what they have going on in the Armitage household is just like way, way deeper yeah. um, than just him being a black man and dating their white daughter. Yes. Do you and- want to say in short? what they have going on just to to make sure we're all on the same page uh sure so uh this family has developed a process by which they can take over Mm -hmm. a black person's body Mm -hmm. to transplant their their white consciousness into this black body you gotta say how they they cut head they cut heads open yes they literally cut your head off and like transport this like like the white person's brain into the black person's brain, close it all up, and then you got this like weird white black sandwich situation going on yeah. where the the white person is now in control of this black body, yeah, uh, and the the other person exists only as a passenger, yeah, which is whew. Oof. um. So this movie is a deep well. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. And and real talk, I actually, like, this type of movie, I really, like, I want to see it again. Uh, I will probably see it yeah. again. Uh, I don't know if I see it again in theaters. Yeah. Um, Maybe watch it at home and sit Eve on your knee. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you a little tale about how things go in the world. But uh, but no, I definitely want to. I definitely want to see it again because it's so. It's actually really really textured. Mm-hmm. Like even now, you know, I'm all, I've been thinking about it since I saw it, and I just keep realizing like little point after little point that like, you know, he's he's been like popping in to like give you an idea of where he's going mm-hmm. um but because this is not a three-hour podcast nope again we're going to talk about just kind of three central themes and all the stuff that falls under it mm-hmm. are you ready i was born ready all right this movie. let's jump into it let's talk about white supremacy all right let's <laughs> let's let's get down to brass tacks so this movie this movie is about white supremacy but it's 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 approached in a pretty novel way there's an article actually we'll reference probably a couple of times. It's called Why Get Out is the Best Movie Ever About American Slavery. Mm-hmm. It's uh it came it came out in Esquire. It's by Stephen Thrasher. Mm-hmm. But like he pointed out the quick thing that I think jumps us into this conversation is he's like, you know, this movie is about the theft of black bodies, but it isn't set in the antebellum South. This is set in the present day mm-hmm. in what seems like vaguely New England. Yeah, it seems like either like New England or like Northern California. Either way, same type of white people, coastal, liberal, white elites. Exactly. That is the thing. This is about liberal, white racism. Yes. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, I've been always, I'm like, I'm not always looking for an excuse to talk about it because I feel like there's so many excuses around and sometimes it can feel tiring. But this example, I'm prepared. Yeah, I mean, and people do not talk, do not talk about this. In any real meaningful way. Yeah, and that's for interesting reasons. Well, yeah, a lot of people don't want to get fired. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Uh, you know, self-preservation is a real thing. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, in addition, you know, like the thing is, like there are a lot of there are a lot of white people out there, you know, who uh, consider themselves friends to people of color. Yes. You know, who consider themselves like who love to use the word ally. Yeah. You know? But often don't realize how they're playing into the exact same stereotypical tropes. And racism that exists in the world every single day. Yeah, they just think there's like this huge chasm between them and like quote unquote rednecks or hillbillies, Mm -hmm. which first of all assumes a lot about poor people, first of all. And also like what education and money and reading, you know, a couple of Ta-Nehisi articles can do for the white mind. Exactly. And like it just just assumes a lot of all of these things. Um, Yeah, so they just think that they're really special. They think that they're really special and I think they are beyond reproach and beyond criticism and like, you know, just too noble for racism. And racism is not about nobility. It's about... I mean, I was about to. Say, I was trying to think. I'm like, well, what is it not about? What is it about? Yeah, it's well, it touches every corner of my life. Yeah, I was, I was thinking. I was like, what is it about? And I'm like, oh well, everything. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you see this in the movie in a lot of different ways. So like early in the movie, they accidentally hit a deer, mm-hmm. you know, and after that, like this white cop comes. And he's talking to Rose, Allison Williams' character. Uh-huh. And then he, like, jumps and asks for Chris's ID. Uh-huh. And, and Allison Williams is like, oh, wait, what do you, why do you need his ID? You know what? And the, <laughs> no, and I love that. It was, such, it was such a good, like, I mean, obviously, like, her true character, like, her true nature isn't, like, fully revealed until, like, the, maybe the last 10 minutes of the film. Yeah. So I love the fact, like, thinking about that moment in hindsight, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? Um, is so great because it hits the nail on so much like, you know, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, I feel like there are a lot of white feminists and white Mm. women in general who want like cookies and credit for being like, you know, unafraid to say the thing that everyone else is too scared to say and like putting themselves on the line. Like at the end of the day, a mouthy white woman. Like when a cop is standing there, I don't want to be don't I don't don't do that. Don't cape for me. Don't talk to me. Don't do nothing. Just calm down. It was speaking so well to the short-sightedness of, like, imaginary white heroism. Yes. Specifically among white women. It was just mm, mm, so good. (laughs) That moment was so good. I've actually had literally that exact same experience before. Really? Uh, Yeah. Like, when I first moved here, I was hanging out with a bunch of my, like, white friends who I kind of met from, like, through work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we all went out drinking. And this is, like, we're not too, too like, far from college. So, you know, we got out drinking. We, we, were, we were going in, mm-hmm. you know. And we went to this, like, after-hours bar. And we stayed and closed it out. And we were leaving. And everybody was, like, I kind of, like, no one had finished their drink, but they were kicking us all out. Mm-hmm. And so everybody kind of snuck out with their beer. Their bottle of beer. Yeah. And so we were trying to just like hustle to the train station, Lower East Side. This cop comes, sees us, and with like every literally everybody is holding a bottle of beer. And he like, of course, zooms in on me. He's like, sir, come here. Uh-huh. And I'm like, ah, shit. One, you got me. Fine. You know, yeah. drinking outside, whatever. And of course, it's me you single out. Yeah. But then, like, one of my, uh, one of my white friends, one of, uh, she, she's like, oh, why you got to talk to him? Why you singing him out? Everybody here had a drink. And I'm like, yo, just, just, just chill. You know uh. what I'm saying? Like, this, he clearly had it out to give me this ticket. Like, you need to chill out. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a scenario that I want to go as fast as possible yeah. and as simple as possible. Yeah, because you don't need it to escalate. I don't need you right now. I don't need you in this. I didn't ask you for that. No. Like, even the cop was like, come on. Like, you, you need to back up. So why is she snitching on everybody? Dry snitched on everybody. Everybody. Another rule that you might know. 
Did you hang around? <laughs> hung around some, some <laughs> folks of color. But yeah, it was like it was a really crazy experience. But like that, like really took me back. And it was interesting because in the car after that, in the in the movie, in the car after that scene, you know, she clearly was like beaming with pride. Yes, and, and she's like, I don't, I don't like people. I don't want people fucking with my man. Yeah, because like, who among us has not met? I mean, and I, I'm not, I'm like, I don't want anybody to think I'm coming for them, especially nobody necessarily in my life. Yeah. But who among us has not met? Not to say I have. I've never dated a white person in my life, but or dated that person or mm. met your friend's boyfriend girlfriend who was that person i just want to just take you know like when you're a kid and you want your sibling to shut up so you just grab their lips and press them <laughs> closed like that's all i want to do i just want to be like okay let's just take it down yeah yeah it's like i hate that i just assume like that that position assumes that i need any amount of saving from you that I need your pity. And also, like, it tells me a lot about what, like, there's a way to acknowledge your white privilege, even though I hate hate the phrase, but there's a way to acknowledge the power that you have in being a white person and, like, use that to, like, make things easier for marginalized people, specifically people of color. But, like, there's a way to do that in a way that doesn't communicate that you pity me. Mm. And it's I, infantilizing. Like. Exactly. And I just think that it's like, I just think that that's like, that behavior makes me think that, yes, it's like infantilizing and it's like piteous and also like, it's just also coming from a place of wanting to get credit mm, for yeah. performing good white personhood. Yeah. Which is corny. Yeah. To say the least. It could also be potentially dangerous exactly exactly like in you know in both of those scenarios like that those situations could have escalated mm-hmm. you know as a result of you know that provocation mm-hmm. um you know to a degree that is that hopefully one should know by now is very dangerous yeah, like life-threatening yeah but you know like you know people like that though like their their status as good white people trumps your safety Mm. you know what i mean so like that i thought that moment was so perfect yeah and so it's interesting like dealing with this like liberal white racism through like the voice and the lens of jordan peele yeah uh and and jordan peele i feel like most people i mean it's safe to say most people know him from the comedy central show key and peele Uh and key and peele is really interesting in terms of like it's a word yeah, so Key and Peele is this uh, sketch comedy show uh-huh. that uh, many people tried to assert that it was kind of going to fill this void left by... The Chappelle show. Exactly. But I found that that depending upon who you're talking to, you have a different relationship to Key and Peele. Uh, what do you mean? So, for example, so when I'm talking to my white friends, oh my God, it's so funny like key and peel like it's just so great have you seen that um have you seen the sketch that they did about college football where they're saying all the like really really crazy names mm. yeah and they're like oh wasn't that great i'm like yeah that was really funny it was pretty funny oh have you seen the the sketch where it's about um a teacher and he's saying the names of white people but he's saying them crazy mm-hmm. so it's like trey vore Trey Vor, but it's supposed to be Trevor, right? And it's like they're flipping the way that like white teachers might mess up a black person's name. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I got that. I got that. It was really yeah. it was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh and so and with when talking to black folks, it's like it's like, yeah, you know, I got it, but they it hits everything so hard. You know what my favorite sketch of theirs is? I think Negro Town is good, but my yeah. favorite one is literally the one about the continental breakfast. Like, Actually, I haven't seen that one. It's so <laughs> regular. It's just like this guy who loves continental breakfast, and I'm like, wow, that's me and my dad. Yeah, like my favorite skits of theirs are either like, like they, I don't know, I just feel like in their comedy, it very much is like hitting on these points that like are tired and old to me as a black person. Like, I yeah. already know this. Like, it's kind of like. I got this in race 101, you know what I'm saying, yeah. like after my first five minutes of life. 
the thing, the great thing, and I, you know, I had to do a direct comparison to Chappelle's show because I actually don't think the, show, the 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 series are as similar as people like to think they they, yeah. they are. White people uh, like to think. I was like, I was like, I don't know any <laughs> black people who find commonalities, but yeah. Uh, yes, as white people think they are, but the thing that that Chappelle show was so great at is that. So you had one joke that was telegraphed, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a central joke, and they would hit, you know, they would hit it pretty hard. And often those were race jokes, but there were all these little things throughout a particular sketch that you know if you were black you caught and it was real funny yes you know what i'm saying and like and you didn't necessarily need that to get the humor of the overall sketch Mm -hmm. but if you did catch it you were with them and it was like oh this is great like he really really thought this through yeah like wink wink nudge nudge exactly but with key and peel there's usually like it's one it's usually a simpler structure Mm -hmm. uh which is not you know like not to down that but their particular type of humor is like we're gonna lean into this joke and we're gonna hit it again we're gonna hit it again and we're gonna hit it again yeah and we're gonna hit it again to the point where at the end like i'm tired i'm tired and like it just doesn't work. And when you're doing that with like race humor, quote yeah. unquote, you know, it shows that you need you needed someone else who hasn't experienced this to really understand every aspect of what you're getting. Yeah. At. And so much of racial humor is like nuance. So much of yeah. racial experience is nuance. Like when you hit something like that over and over and over again, then like it can communicate a lack of nuance that maybe isn't accurate to the people telling the joke. Yeah. And so Anyway, so that's just key and peel. Yeah. Uh, and like, you know, in taking like taking that and then hearing that, you know, Jordan Peele created this ho- like straight up horror movie about race. I'm not gonna lie, like a lot of people, I was kinda lukewarm on the thought. Oh, I wanted to see the film just because I was like, this is gonna be interesting. Right? I was not expecting what what I received. Yes. The trailer showed a crazy amount of promise, right? Yeah. yeah the trailer yeah, yeah, yeah. made me be like, wow, okay. I, I, you know, I'm gonna be there. I'm yeah, gonna show up yeah, for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but coming out of it, it's also interesting that, you know, uh, Jordan Peele, who did this work with Ken Peele, created something that was so great i mean that that seems kind of like reductive to his like maybe maybe his talent but anyway that's that's not the point of what i'm getting at the point is what was surprising also is who jordan peele is as a person like jordan peele is married to chelsea peretti yes who's a white lady she's also an actress and comedian, comedian yeah uh, you might know it from like brooklyn 99 yeah in addition he's a biracial man yeah and his mom is white his mom is white so white women feature heavily in his like personal like family life. Yeah. And this movie is actually one of the most searing indictments of like white women and white feminism I've probably ever seen. I've ever seen. I was shocked. I mean, I like this is a point I've kind of been talking to everybody out. And as I was talking to somebody recently, they also brought it up. And I was like, oh my God, I was the only one who takes this away. But like, I have never, I have never. Been in a theater, and I and we talk all the time how we like to go to like Court Street. Yeah, we like to go to places where people talk at the screen. Yep, you know what I'm saying. Like the, the communal aspect of of movie watching is very important to me. Mm-hmm. But I have never been in a theater where the entire theater has cheered. Yes, because a white woman got shot. <laughs> like <laughs> I have just absolutely never seen that before. It was a mixed crowd. I will point out yeah. it was mostly black, but it was a mixed crowd, and everyone there was a level of like relief oh, that, yeah. like you know, this woman was getting her comeuppance, and you know that like those parallels and the way they approached making that point was just like shocking. Wait, did any white people walk out of your showing? No. White people, too, walked out of my showing, but they only walked out at a point where, like, they the slavery and the brain switching didn't bother them. But once, like, these, like, white, slave, like, white 2017 slave owner murderers, yeah. like, slave catchers, yeah. like, once they started getting murdered, then they were very uncomfortable. That's too much. And I was like, wait, <laughs> so the slavery and the brain switching and the kidnapping yes. and the deceit. All fine. All fine. 
this is all all fine. This was okay. They were like, I'm with you for the first, you know, hour and 30 minutes, but that last 15 just oh, no. painful. <laughs> I'm like, these are sla- they're modern day slave catchers yes. who are focusing on like a bizarre form of like reverse like bizarro eugenics. Yes. And them getting murdered is that is the the thing that you cannot deal with. Yeah, interesting. I did talk to uh, one white person, and they basically were like, and, and "This kind of sums it up." They were like, "Oh, I didn't realize it was going to turn into a revenge movie at the end." And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "I was like, I was like, you know, I didn't either, but I was happy it did." <laughs> And like it was, I mean, it was a cool conversation. That person took it in stride; like they loved the movie. But it was like you know, I do think a lot of people, I do think a lot of white people who watched the movie had to probably sit in some feelings that they have not had to sit yeah. in in a theater before ever in life. But that also makes me wonder, though, like going back to the thing about Jordan Peele having like white women feature heavily in his personal family life. Like what the fuck? <laughs> Like Chelsea Peretti, like how is she? Like how are you? I think she's pregnant now. Like, yeah. How yeah, are right you chill now. right now? Like where are you emotionally? Like what? <laughs> like I feel like I, it's I'm, very bold to make. The, it's very bold to make Get Out with a white wife. I mean to put a button on like why this feels so like novel. I guess there's like especially with your liberal white friends, and if you're a person who you know has. Uh, had an interracial relationship before uh-huh. there is i think there is like an outstanding pressure that that you can feel to and you see this in the film you see yeah. this reflected in the film to make that person feel good about their standing in relationship to blackness you know in terms of like oh you, you know you're doing a great job of supporting me you're doing a great job of like you know standing up for me mm, like you're mm-hmm. one of the good ones yeah you know and so it just it, it's really interesting to have um to have this movie come from someone who has probably you know and I, i'm projecting a little bit but it's, has probably experienced that type of pressure in many ways mm-hmm. you know maybe from you know their parent their parental relationship or maybe even from their personal mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. um and not saying that like those two people maybe have exerted that pressure but society itself can create that narrative you know like yeah. you want to make sure you're reinforcing that th- that you've chosen good people in your life yep uh, so yeah it's just really wild to, to have such a searing indictment of that mm. On the screen from someone who's still living the lifestyle, who's still, yeah, who's still deep in the life, yeah. And and to me that like that's why I think this is such a like that is part of why I think this is such a good movie that explores like the the types of white because the types of white supremacy that don't often get discussed because that is a type of white supremacy that like to have society exert a pressure on you that you always need to be providing positive feedback to the white people in your life yeah not even just society but like like the fact that that's a dynamic that can exist in your relationship in the Stephen Thrasher piece from Esquire there is this phrase that um, this this guy Hari Ziad I think he's a writer calls white partner fragility Mm. like i really appreciate like you know i I liked so much that in this movie while you're exploring these like these greater white supremacist goals yeah you know what i'm saying such as developing technology so that you can inhibit a black body like i i also appreciated that like the white supremacy on like the interpersonal scale not just the microaggressions from like your partner's parents and not just from like you know the people that you're going to meet at their dinner parties or from your coworker or from your boss or you know whoever but also like specifically someone with whom you are like in a romantic relationship with and white partner fragility is kind of like uh well it's described here as it's described in the thrasher piece as the propensity of black people with white intimate partners to cape for them and be more sensitive about protecting their partner's whiteness than they are about expressing their own black humanity and anger. And like, I mean, I haven't dealt with that before, but I have been in relationships with black men. I've dealt with that as it can pertain to maybe misogynoir. Mm. Um, Not specifically, not just sexism, but like specifically like, the like the weight of sexism as it, as it relates to also being like specifically a black woman yeah. i've had moments where like it would have been too much for me to explain to my partner at the time yeah. where they fucked up and how they fucked up and what the lay of the land really looks like yeah. so it's just sort of like it's easier i'm not saying it's the right thing to do but i could definitely see how it's easier in the moment to be like 
no, it's okay. Like, no, I understand. I get it. Blah, blah, blah. Like, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's so much easier to do that, I imagine, than it is to be like, no, actually, you didn't support me. And these, here's some other shit that you said that's really gotten on my fucking nerves. And I don't feel like you respect me and you don't see us as equals. Yeah. That's a harder conversation to have, especially if you have some other types of romantic feelings wrapped up in your relationship with this other person. But, like, I like that Get Out, like, explored that while also exploring like you know slavery yeah uh, and so i actually think that's a good spot to take a break i'm with that who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie famous amos has been making them since the 70s 1975 to be exact with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie and fans couldn't get enough that's right You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. Discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album, and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Life doesn't have a pause button. That's why Capella University's FlexPath learning format lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them if something comes up. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference for you at capella.edu. Welcome back. We're here. We are talking about Get Out. Get Out. And we're exploring a few themes, you know, a few themes from the movie. Yes, yes, yes. So we already talked about um, sort of like the insidious and grotesque nature and movements of white supremacy. Yes. But now I think it's time for us to like discuss like something that I found really refreshing about the film, which was... The way it really uh, utilized point of view, like like really, really specifically uh, the point of view of the protagonist, Chris. Yeah. No matter who you are, it puts you at a very clear point of empathy with Chris. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot of shots of like handshakes. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the handshake between him and her father. You see yep. the attempted handshake between him and Andre. The character played by uh, Lakeith. Oh, Lakeith Stanfield yes. from Atlanta. Yes. He's an incredible actor. Yeah. I mean, he killed this movie. Like, yeah. He was he only in it. it for a bit. Oh, my God. But he was so good. And you see, also see it in, like, the way people, like, look at each other. Like, just in the sense of, like, so, uh, and again, this is, like, you're, you're experiencing Chris's point of view. So when you see a handshake, you see him looking at the handshake mm-hmm. to see how it's going to, you know, see how it's going to go, how yeah. it lingers. Um, but you also see, you see other people's faces from his viewpoint. So this lets you know that, one, I'm supposed to be experiencing this movie with this guy. With this black man. Yes. How often does that happen? Like, never. <laughs> Never? Never? Yeah. Never? Never, never? Never, never? never. Nope. (laughs) Like, that is just so transformative, to be straight up with Mm -hmm. you. The feeling that you have to fight, even as somebody who might empathize with a black character, Mm -hmm. that you have to fight for that empathy because you don't get enough of their interiority to really understand what's happening with Mm -hmm. that. Um, this is not that movie. You know what's going on with him. You know how he's feeling. You know when he's afraid. You know when he's angry. Yeah. The thing about it that's going to sum up to something relatively simple is that in this movie, he's a full person. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Like, what? (laughs) Like a full regular person. Yeah. But he's like not some sort of pathologized symbol like a what's the word I'm thinking not of? Perfect black man. Yeah, I was gonna say he's not some perfect black superhero. Yeah, he's just like a regular guy who's a really good photographer, and he's, he's like cute and like you know, he's kind of quiet. He's kind of quiet. Yeah. yeah, you see, but he also like I mean, this is also like speaks a lot to Daniel Kaluuya's like performance, but like he is really good at like communicating his interior life through his mm. face. Yeah, where even if he says very little, you're like I will say like he and um. Daniel Kaluuya and Allison Williams had really good chemistry. Yeah. Like, I f- actually found that, like, even though they're very, their characters are very different people, even at the outset, mm-hmm. I could see, I, I could, like, my brain started to fill in a backstory wherein they relate to each other and they get along. And I sort of see how their relationship could come together. 
So, like, this movie centers a black person in what is essentially, like, a more, like, in essentially a white space, you know, mm-hmm. essentially, uh, like, a black person, and the horror comes from this white space. Yeah. And it made me think of a movie, or actually, real talk, you thought, you, like, mentioned the movie, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of went back and, and, like, dug deep in it a little bit. Uh-huh. But um, you mentioned Candyman. Yes. Uh, which is another classic movie. Yeah. You know, well, some would say. Uh, another classic. classic black horror film, I'd say. Exactly. Yeah. Get Out is almost a perfect foil for that. Uh-huh. Because Candyman does this work that's often problematic of centering a white woman in a black narrative. So, like, mm-hmm. you have this white woman who is, like, diving deeper into poor blackness. Cabrini Green yeah. in Chicago. <laughs> Like, literally, like, it's this, like, there's a lot of, like, ruin porn in there. Like, you know, it's just like, like, there's a lot, like, I actually, I do like Candyman. Yeah. But I forgot, damn, how problematic that shit is. Yeah. Well, there's always something, I mean, like, a narrative about black vengeance in the early 90s was exciting. And still is kind of exciting to a certain extent. But the way it played out was interesting. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and if you haven't seen Candyman, so like I, I guess if you haven't seen Candyman, a quick like a quick recap uh-huh. is uh it's about this white woman who is she's basically doing what seems to be like postdoctoral work. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like writing a research paper about folklore, and she gets drawn into this specific story about this like legend Candyman who mm-hmm. exists to basically terrorize and murder the black people in Cabrini Green projects, which don't exist anymore. No, nope. and. She gets kind of pulled into that narrative and eventually becomes like the center of it. And it's her trying to like get out and manage that. Mm-hmm. And this movie is literally, again, the complete opposite of that. So, like, you get Chris as this protagonist. He's going and discovering this very white world and experiencing the horror of what it means to be a, a black person yeah. in a extremely white space. And there's two like really fun things about that in particular so like Candyman is obviously a more like fantastical like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, there's a more fantastical relationship to the horror it's about this like guy who it's legend who does not exist he existed in like at a time which slavery existed and like it's like carried over today uh-huh. but the horror like most of the horror in Get Out is from like real world shit like the most of the actual tension yeah existed in things that I found very familiar. Yeah. I just got to take a step back. Because, like, I felt for that brother in many ways. Yes. But I have probably had almost every single one of those types of interactions just at one point or another. You know? Yeah. That that white person who comes to you who, who thinks they're, like, so chill with you. Uh, and it's like, oh, man, you play basketball, right? Yeah. You know? Like, because I'm a black man who's, like, maybe decently tall, you know? Yeah. Or who instantly starts trying to, like, drop some slang. Uh, that's the worst. That's the one that embarrasses me probably the most. I think that one, that without a doubt, embarrasses me the most. It's the like, most. Where'd you get that from? Well, because the thing is, is that, like, employing slang requires, like, a degree of verbal dexterity. And mm-hmm. I happen to think that I deal in that for a living. Yeah. So the fact that I'm like, okay, I literally talk which pays my bills. So don't come in with your poorly constructed, poorly used slang. And also, too, you don't have the range. You just yes. don't have the range. And you're embarrassing yourself on multiple levels by speaking to me in this way. Yeah. The other thing that that scene got so right that never, I think, gets right in the sort of like fish out of water, black person in a white space movie. Like it's something that they typically get wrong. Like... I think that in narratives where black people are entering white spaces, particularly moneyed white spaces, Mm. we're supposed to believe that the fear is that they are somehow inadequate. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like whether they're not smart. Usually if it's a school, they're not smart enough. If it's a job, you know what I'm saying? They're not working hard enough or they're not going to be accepted. Um, And then also like. Or they're just, they don't, they're poor. They don't have enough money. It's a class thing. And it's so funny because that speaks to white people's fears. Mm. And how nice for you that your greatest fear is being poor. Your biggest fear. That is the, that is the largest fear that you have. Now, I mean, actual poverty is not something to fuck with. Like, I'll joke around about that. That's like something that keeps a lot of people in, like, 
for us to be one of the richest countries on earth, um, for us to have as many people living in poverty as we do is shameful. Yeah. Poverty is something that affects every single facet of your life. Mm-hmm. But why people don't necessarily fear poverty, they fear a, like arriving at a lower social status than mm-hmm. they currently occupy. So like, yeah, I think about like, what's that movie? Finding Forrester? <laughs> Remember that one, the Gus Van Sant film yeah. um, with Rob Brown and what's the Sean guy? Connery. Yes, and Sean Connery. You're the man now, dog. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so like Sean Connery is this like old recluse writer and basically he forms this relationship with this black boy played by Ron Brown who is like a high school basketball star who um, starts attending like an elite prep school. And so much of that film, like so much of his discomfort, this boy's discomfort is supposed to come from, I'm supposed to believe that it's coming from the fact that he's poor mm-hmm. and I guess ostensibly, you know, and black maybe second there. Yeah. But like, that's not the case. Like yeah. more often than not, Black people's greatest fear and being around a whole bunch of white people is someone saying something like disgraceful and ugly and racist and rude and embarrassing you and making you feel small. Yeah. That's actually like a black person's greatest fear in a white space. Like now granted, like I have some class privilege, but I go into more conversations like fearing that someone's going to say something that's going to offend me identity wise. Yeah. Rather than talking about like a whole bunch of rich people shit that I don't really know about, yeah, that's like I can you can Google that, yeah. I can't Google whatever the fuck is gonna make you stop acting a fool and talking to me wild crazy yeah. like these white people did to Chris at uh, at Rose's parents' party. Yeah, and it's interesting also like it, it, like and it was also so real like that because of that you saw him really seeking out community you know like he like after that you know he goes and he's like he's like he's trying to talk to folks he's mm-hmm. like trying to talk to andre like yo like what the fuck mm-hmm. like he's like he says he verbalizes he's like i just get really stressed out at like you know situations where i'm around all these white folks and you, you know that's when you see like andre give that like that face uh-huh uh, like that that is a real element of like you know why when you are in a white space and you see another black person, yes. that head nod is immediate. Yes. You know, that like, hey, I see you. I got if if it go down, but come find thing. me. That's the <laughs> thing. You took the words right out of my brain. If it goes down. And like normally, like in most social settings, like I feel like I'm pretty fortunate in that like if it goes down, meaning if someone says some wild shit, we can leave. Yeah. I can look at you. We can laugh. Or which like whatever it is, we can have a secret black people moment. Exactly. Where we're like, or, or what if you if I decide I'm going to say something, you're going to back me up. But like the other case scenario, yeah. like maybe worst case scenario is that something dangerous will happen. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, it's very funny to me, again, that why people think that, like, my greatest fear is that I'm somehow inadequate instead of, like, my greatest fear being that you're going to embarrass me or hurt me in some way by something yeah. that you say. But then there's also the other great existential threat, literally existential threat, that you will do something that could cost me my life. Yeah. Like, which is, again, like, why people cannot conceive... Many white filmmakers cannot conceive of that as being the, like something that I'm carrying with me all the time in their presence. I wanted to talk about the final scene of the sure. film when Rose, mm-hmm. like she's like supposed to be dying on the yeah. pavement, um, but of course, like any good like horror movie villain, she like comes back alive. So Chris has to like choke her to death, yeah. and it's kind of stressful too because yeah. like you know up until a couple hours before then he was fighting for her yeah he was fighting for her that was his woman like yeah. they were going they were going to they were going to make it happen they were they were you know going to be the new instagram team swirl couple of the month um if she would have found them keys if she would have found them keys exactly so he uh he had to get on top of her and he was trying to choke her to death and you could see he was conflicted and she was really trying to play on that yeah. um but then and so I'm sitting there I'm like okay you have to choke this bitch out like you have to get it done you have to get it done everybody in the theater was like choke the bitch yeah. Um. But then we see. I see these like blue and red lights flashing, and I'm like, "Fuck!" Like the police are here. This house is burning down. All evidence of these crazy psycho racist people are being like burned to shreds. Like I was sitting there thinking, like, "Okay, he's gonna get arrested. He's gonna have to go to court." Is there any evidence? Is there anybody to corroborate this? What can we do? What can we do? And then very fortunately, like you know, we the camera changes position. And we see like a police car drive up, uh, but then the the door opens and it says airport. And yeah. that's when you know that Chris's best friend, Rod, is there to show up and like save the day, uh, which to me felt like an unlikely ending. But then I was like, okay, 
It is a yeah. movie. I did just watch somebody say that they had some technology that could switch brains. <laughs> so, like, let me sus- <laughs> suspend my disbelief for a second. But of all, it's wild to me that of all the stuff that I saw in the movie, like the very last scene, like this black man getting to survive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This whole thing, and like this black man ha- being met by some sort of um, law enforcement. Yeah. Like, you know, having that be a relief for him was a shock. And also, like, Every single black person in the theater knew what it meant. Yes. You know what I'm there saying? There was some like, real tension there. There was some re exactly. Every single black person in the theater, we know what it looks like when a black man is on top of a white woman trying to choke her to death and you see these blue and red flashing lights pop up. That scared me and it broke my heart. And I was like, Oh my God. Like Chris survived to this moment and like And now it's over. And now it's over. Like it's it. This is it. And the original ending of the movie was supposed to be that he was supposed to get arrested and go to court. Interesting. Yeah, but then people were like, "That's too bleak," and yeah. I was like, "What's funny though is that's real the way life works out." Life. Um, but like it, that's how you knew the point. Like the point of view. Like normally at the end of a movie, like a horror movie, like when the police show up, do you know what I mean? It's because like the bad guy's been caught yeah. and blah 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 blah. But safe. in this film, exactly, it's a sign that you're safe. It's usually a sign that like a white woman who is like in her house with a baseball bat trying to kill an assailant. Is finally safe, and in this film, it's like that it was like one last, like almost like um, like a jump scare. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It was like one last jump scare in the film that also let me know that we were specifically watching the story of a black man. Even watching Allison Williams' face, yeah, she started to put on her like, oh, please help me! I'm a poor defenseless white woman. He's choking me. This black man is choking me. She started to get that look on her face, and I was like, this movie is too good. <laughs> But yeah, like that's that last scene, like that almost broke my heart. It, it no, you're you're absolutely right. Like the amount of tension, like I found myself. So I went to go see it with Carla, and I found myself like I grabbed her like thigh, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, fuck, yes, like because the the like when the movie kind of shifts into like revenge narrative a little bit, uh-huh. like after he breaks free, there's so much. It's so cathartic, like yeah. seeing him like break out and like honestly just like kill these people who have basically tortured him for the past like however many days. Yeah, he was down there, uh, and so you feel like, oh man, this is really about to get ripped away from me for with some real tragic shit that I experienced yep. on like a day to day level. Yep, it made me really happy, and I felt a sense of relief when that didn't happen. And that scene mm-hmm. mirrors almost directly to another iconic horror movie. Uh huh. Which is Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. Black protagonist. Exactly. So Night of the Living Dead, if you don't really know, um, it's another movie you should actually go back to see. It's actually really, to be a very old horror movie, Mm -hmm. it really, really stands up. It's really, really good. But it came out in 1968. This is this is a film that basically like created the idea of like zombies, what will become zombies. Oh, like in the popular like lexicon. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and in the final scene, like they've been going through this work of uh, like trying to like you know kill and protect themselves from the zombies. And there's surprisingly, shockingly, there's you know this this black man is what becomes a protagonist. Like you start out through the lens of this white woman, but it ends up being this black man, Ben, who's, like, making it and killing it. And, like, every single... He almost dies, like, five or six times in the movie. Um, But he makes it all the way to the end. And he hears, like, a group of people who he knows are, like, like not zombies, basically. Uh And he comes out, and he's, like, trying to be like, hey, hey, I'm, like, you know, I'm here, like, I've made it. And they immediately shoot him in the forehead. And kill him. Yeah, that's that's about right. And it was like, and for me, like, it was supposed to be they thought he was a zombie because he yeah, came yeah, out yeah, very, yeah, like, yeah. exasperated. Yeah. But that's also, like, a very similar relationship to, you know, what we were anticipating for the limited amount of time that a black person gets to communicate, I need help from you before they are perceived as a threat. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what, like, that felt like the same wavelength. And if, like, I don't know, I don't think it was a, I mean, obviously there's some crazy parallels in real life right now. Yeah. (laughs) That, that, like, telegraphed that scene. Yeah. But it was interesting that it also felt like kind of a callback a little bit to that particular moment where you, you know, you finally do have another black male protagonist and he, you know, gets all the way to the end and he's able to feel that feeling of safety yep. um, after making it through this, like, harrowing experience. Feels like justice. 
<laughs> How do we get that? I feel like. Oh, never. Yeah, basically. <laughs> never. <laughs> so our final thing that we're going to talk about today it's kind of this this the idea of like how the movie explores the black body. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's no secret from the plot. Like the black body is kind of a central it's like almost the most valuable thing. It's a pot of gold, man. In the movie, you know. And they telegraph this like like very early on like mm-hmm. you know, they're walking Chris through Rose's parents' house, uh-huh. the Armitage house. And, you know, they point out this picture of this white man who's like a track star. And they're talking about, he tells the story of how, like, Jesse Owens. Oh, yeah, like beat him out for, like, Olympic qualifications or something like that. Yeah, so he talks about the the qualifier. And then he eventually talks about this narrative of Jesse Owens, like, going and, like, showing, like, as this black man, I'm going to beat out this Aryan race that, like, Hitler was trying to hold up in higher high yeah. regard. And that was kind of like one of the first pieces that actually did not connect that, like, was going to be very important oh, in the that- film. That one put me on high alert. As soon as he said that, I was like, Grandpa's coming back. I don't know how. <laughs> Grandpa's coming back. I was like, this story going to come back around. Yeah. But, like, the black body centers, like, so heavily in this film. And in a way that's very different, you know, than, like, other movies. Like, mm-hmm. And specifically, like, again, to come back to Candyman, you know, like, so you have this black man who lived in the South, or who lived in Illinois, but at a time when slavery still existed, he uh-huh. was free, but he had a relationship with a white woman, mm-hmm. which, you know, obviously reflect, was was like taboo at the time. I mean, nothing worse than miscegenation among <laughs> freely moving black people. Nothing worse than that. And so as a result of that, they like torture him. Um, you know, they, they cut off his hand and mm-hmm. replace it with a, like a hook. Um, and like jam it in there. They, you know, they cover his body in honey, and like have bees attack him. Mm-hmm. And throughout the throughout the movie, his body is seen as this like source of horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's using he's using his body. He's using the hook. And like at one point, he like opens his chest, and like, you see like yeah. the rib cage and yeah. stuff like that. His body, his physical black body, is this manifestation of horror for this white woman, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but in this movie. The black body, as fucked up as it is, is seen as like this thing to aspire to. Like, yeah, these people are aspiring to steal, you know, black bodies for their, you know, quote unquote, inherent gifts. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Let's take a I need to take a drink of water on that. <laughs> uh, it's so it, I thought that was really sharp because like. In general, like, that's what slavery was. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're going to find, like, the strongest, you know, physical people that we can to help build our civilization and, like, you know, grow our crops and, like, harvest them and care for our children and feed them with their bodies. Um, Like, black bodies were birthing, breastfeeding, growing food, building things for centuries in America. Like, that's why, you know. Shit, that's how that's how the White House came to be. Yeah. Um, like that was like a valuing of black labor and black physicality in a different way. Yeah, I would assume of the characters, the white older characters who are participating in like the essentially the slave auction for Chris. I would assume that those white people thought that like instead of like well instead of me like paying like not paying you instead of me snatching you back to my house. Yeah. To like wash, you know, clip my toenails and wash my floors for free. Like I'm paying you a compliment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that's way, which to me points again to like white liberal racism. They like in their minds, it's like, well, I want to inhabit your body. Like that's a compliment. Yeah. Do you, you know feel, what I mean? You feel good about that. Like right? you should feel really good about that. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to make you my slave. Yeah. I just want to put my brain in yours and operate and go through my life as you and where your skin is my skin and your eyes is my eyes. I thought that was so, 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 so sharp, like showing like the contrast and the and like also a lot of the commonalities between like white racist attitudes uh, during like antebellum slavery and also uh, present northern liberal white racist attitudes. Yeah. It's also when you think about like reprogramming, like <laughs> how you might reprogram someone or what it means to reprogram a black person. Yeah. Um. So there's this movie. There's this movie. Woo. I love this movie, by the way. I think I know what you're going to talk about. It's called Tales from the Hood. Classic. 
classic black like this is a black horror movie i actually don't i don't like to count candy man because candy man's so fucked up yeah um but tales from the hood i mean tales from the hood is pretty fucked up too yeah but i mean a tales from the hood is written and directed by black people though yes which and, and, and like you can tell that from like the name oh, it's like yeah go see tales from the hood it's or, so good so so good really good came out in 1995 i'm gonna spoil one of the vignettes for you i think that's okay the movie's been out for about 20 some years so yeah okay you've had time yeah um but so the movie is a series of vignettes kind of like in a similar way that uh tales from the crypt is right yeah uh and one of those vignettes is about this criminal named special k yes he is a gang member i think he also sold drugs yeah like you know classic classic like la gangster 90s you know and he's kind of portrayed as this like irredeemable soul yes and he finally is like caught and he goes to jail and they like strip him down mm-hmm. and uh like they remove all his clothes and there's this black woman oh man no they, yeah they take him to well they, they take him to jail but then he goes to a special unit yes in that jail yes and then there's like an older black woman there who like and not in like say tactics or beliefs but in like physical aesthetics Mm -hmm. i think is meant to remind you of like angela davis yeah yeah this is like i mean in the 90s this was radical but like now you probably classify that all this is like some hotep shit oh it's very much some hotep shit but yeah (laughs) she like introduces him to this like white supremacist like skinhead from prison who like tells him like oh yo i fuck with you because you killed black people too yeah, like because that's what Special K does. He's a gangbanger. Gang He's like killed some other people, some of his peers, and so he's like, and she's like, "What makes you any different? What makes you any different from the skinhead?" Like, she's like, "Okay, you have one chance. Like, you can do this thing, and maybe like this, is, you can get out of prison or whatever. Like, maybe you don't have to like, you know, whatever. I don't know. Uh, no, he has like one last chance to do something, like to avoid some sort of bad consequence. Mm-hmm. So." They like do. They have this whole scene where he's like in this like dungeon cellar yeah. thing, almost like sensory deprivation chamber. Yeah. He's like laid on a table. He's got all these things covering his nipples and like suction cups and tubes and all this they shit. They put a tube down his throat, like what looks like just freakishly far. It's yes. like really disturbing. Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, and then they show him. They make him watch all these images of like lynchings and beating and the civil rights movement, and the KKK. Yeah. Again, we said this is some hotep shit. Yeah, it's it was, a good movie though. Yeah, it was basically Eyes on the Prize. They made him watch Eyes on the Prize. Yes, they made him watch Eyes <laughs> on the Prize. But all this was meant to like deprogram him. Yeah. It was like some very Kedrick Lamar, yeah. Blacker the Berry. Drop Squad. Type yeah, thing. type stuff. But yeah, as soon as Chris got into the basement of the Armitage's house, I was like, Jordan Peele trying to get me to think about Tales from the Hood. Yeah, but it was interesting because it was like they were reprogramming him in like a different way, away from like they were reprogramming him to have less of a need for his own personhood. Yep. Whereas like, you know, in Tales from the Hood, they were trying to change this man's like behavior and the way he thought because mm-hmm. uh, he was a danger to, to society. Yeah. In this way, they were trying to make him like remove the person from him and make him a receptacle which I found like, mm. I found it really deep in terms of how liberal white racism wants you to quickly get to the idea that they understand you mm-hmm. so that you can do more receiving and complimenting and like praising of them. Yes. And if like that really felt like they were trying to like just reprogram him to beat this, obviously it changes a little bit, but like reprogram <laughs> him, Chris, to like, to be ready to receive this white person and feel good about it. Yep. Because this is a guy who values him and his body yep. and his thoughts and his eyes. And I thought that was like, whoo, I thought that was like fascinating and some shit that you just don't see very often. And actually that, that like cues up this other piece, like a way that I was kind of like thinking about this. And it was kind of described in this uh in this, in the three, in the Stephen Thrasher piece that we actually referenced earlier in uh-huh. Esquire, um, as like if it it feels like this, these weren't his words, but it feels kind of like this final stage of cultural appropriation, uh-huh. like the need to actually like physically take over uh, the black body. Mm-hmm. And in 
So like in the in the Esquire piece, he actually mentions he says like uh, Get Out is really a masterwork of Afrofuturism because it's kind of like this. And Afrofuturism is this uh, artistic and scientific framework for like thinking about like race and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says like Jordan Peele's horror film is about the theft of black bodies, but it's it's like not not committed to slavery directly. Like, mm-hmm. it's removed from that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was, like, really interesting to think about, like, how, you know, we talk a lot about cultural appropriation. Yeah. And seeing, like, this, this, like, almost somewhat felt like maybe, like, the final the final endpoint yeah. of what maybe that could look like in some sort of, like, dystopian future. Well, the thing is about that is, like, I agree with that. And I, was talk- I had dinner with a friend two nights ago and she said that she was like oh this movie totally reminded me of cultural appropriation i was like what and then she was like yeah like you want all the attributes but you don't want any of like the agency or the personhood you want all of the black features and none of the blackness you want to be a nigga but you don't want to be a nigga exactly and like and i I do agree with that but then also like to borrow a word from ta-nehisi who has never been on the show, but is, like, always welcome. Um, the plunder of the black body, though, it's, like, taking over our bodies is, like, it's like a return to form. It's like mm. a callback. Because if you think about it, you know what George Washington had in his mouth instead of his own damn teeth? Slaves' teeth. Slaves' teeth. You know why? This white man was too ridiculous to learn how to brush his own goddamn teeth. So they got nasty, they rotted, they fell out, and he had dentures. He wore dentures every day with slaves teeth in them like to think about like having you know black women act as wet nurses Mm. up through the last century we grew the population fed the population what's what i'm thinking about if you even if you talk about the diaspora Mm. like testing birth control in puerto rico do you know what i mean like american society is always like trying to use black people's bodies for its advantage Anyway, so like, you know, why not switch brains? You know what I mean? It's (laughs) kind of like Taylor's oldest time. It's like the next step in plastic surgery in a way. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like the same way that like people think about silicone or injections or something like that. Because it is like silicone is a disposable property. It's just basically a type of plastic. Mm -hmm. And like, (laughs) like having this narrative in 2017 where basically like black people's bodies are just like, a type of plastic yeah. is like that's some real that's some real real shit that's some wild shit so if you haven't <laughs> you know if you if if you if you for some reason listen to this before you saw the film yeah you're wrong you shame <laughs> on you it means you don't listen you can't follow directions but but now go back and watch that movie and but i think also like go back and watch it again because I'm ready yeah. to go back and watch it again. Because I know there's stuff even within this yeah. that, like, I've missed. And also, if you haven't noticed, we referenced, a, like, a few uh, movies that you should also check out. Yeah. Tales from the Hood, Candyman. Yeah. Uh, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. And there's some other movies, too, that I think we should, I think we'll include links to in the reading that I think could also, like, having knowledge of those films could also, like, enrich your experience of understanding and really taking in all the magic that is Get Out. Yeah. Uh, I gotta say this, man. I uh, 2017 is gonna be full of surprises because Jordan Peele right? <laughs> got me feeling inspired, refreshed, reactive, ready to get going. Yeah. Yeah, like, shout out to Jordan Peele. I did not anticipate this from you, sir. I don't mean that as shade, no. but I am very pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And, I mean, right now, you, I, I'll be in line for whatever the next thing is, as long as it's not Keanu. I don't want to talk about Keanu. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Keanu. So, this has been another episode of For Colored Nerds. Yes, For Colored Nerds, if you want to support us, and we always could use support, if you want to support some black art, some black-owned businesses, then you can go on ahead to patreon.com slash for colored nerds. You mm-hmm. can donate some monies to help mm-hmm. us continue to make this show. It costs money, costs time, costs effort. And at the end of the day, all that comes down to, to cash. So if you got some, we need it. Help us out. We take as little as a dollar a month and we take up to just about anything that you want to hand out. Um, additionally, we have merch. Yes. We have like awesome t-shirts. We have mugs that Eric and I drink out of at work. Yes. 
we also have tote bags, which I carry from time to time. Uh, every once in a while, I end up carrying the tote bag, like when I am going someplace where I'm going to end up like talking about the show, and then I'm like, <laughs> that's kind of weird, but. I'm supporting a black-owned business. There so you go. So no shame. Kiss my butt. Get a t-shirt or a mug. Or a tote bag. Or a tote bag from shop.forcolornerds.com. Pay us a visit. Buy something for your family. Also, if you don't have any money. Yes. You can support us by leaving a five-star review on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Just let them know we're popping. We're here. We're black. We're not going anywhere. We don't die. We multiply. Um, so, yeah, this has been another episode of For Color Nerds. Thank you so much for listening. We're hosted by Brittany Luce and myself, Eric Eddings, and we are produced by Bethel Hapte. And yeah, that has been our show. Yep. You you said that like we like we have more staff. I, you we like, don't have more and staff. And nope, we only have Bethel. All we need. Yeah, exactly. There you go. We'll be back soon. Stay black. Or if you're not, stay what you are. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.